episode 145 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. The Pilot the Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. They have an amazing ground school app for the knowledge you need to fly. To learn more, visit learnthefinerpoints.com. Hey, I'm Emily. I work for uh, Horizon Air out in Seattle, and I fly the E-175 for them now. Hey, Nation, Welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and I am your host. Today's podcast is with regional airline pilot, Emily. Emily and I have a lot of good conversation in this podcast, and we dive into why she wanted to become a pilot even after there was an aircraft accident that involved her dad. Uh, we talk about what she chose to choose for flight school, why she chose to go to ATP, how she chose the jobs that she chose, and why choosing the right job for you is more important than chasing money. Aviation, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you do, please leave us a review on iTunes, follow us on Instagram, and make sure to send me any feedback you have at my email, pilotthepilothq at gmail.com. Also, check out our shop, shoppilotthepilothq.com, and you can find some sweet hats there. And if you want to become a Patreon member supporter, please head over to patreon.com slash pilotthepilot. Aviation, that's it. It's a quick intro today. I really want to get Emily's episode out. It was so much fun to talk with Emily, and we had a little schedule snafu a while ago, so we have any jokes about that then that isn't there now but it's all over because we finally caught her on so i hope you're enjoying this without any further ado here's emily emily what's going on welcome to the pilot the pilot podcast hey thank you for having me no problem really excited for this i know me too it's a, a long time coming i, I will say that is. <laughs> well cool <laughs> well uh, let's uh, let's just dive right in um i always start kind of with a similar question i know i told you before i don't have any planned questions it's pretty much outside of this one is the only plan question to get everything started. But why aviation? What was your original draw, inspiration? Uh, why did you choose a career in inspiration? Or why did you choose a career in aviation from the get-go? So when I was younger, I don't I don't really think I wanted to be a pilot when I grew up. I I was surrounded by aviation. My dad was a pilot, my grandfather was a pilot. I have two uncles who are pilots. So I was surrounded by it from a young age. Both parents are in the Air Force. And growing up, I always flew with my dad um, in our little airplane that we had. We had a little beach musketeer. And I never realized how not normal it is to ask your friends, like, hey, do you want to go fly for breakfast? Hey, do you want to go fly for lunch or dinner? Hey, do you just want to go fly? Like, I never realized how not normal that is for normal people. And so I just kind of grew up around it. And then um, when I got to college, I went to community college. I was kind of like, I don't really like school. So I decided to take a, a, a pilot ground school that my college had at the time. I was like, just dip my toes in. Let's see if I'm even good at this pilot thing. And ended up passing the, passing the class of flying colors. I'm like, all right, well, I guess I am kind of good at this. And so I ended up uh, talking to my uncle, who's a corporate pilot. And he's like, yeah, go to flight school. And not only did he take that and run with it, he sprinted with it. And he, he was kind of the one who pushed me into it. He got me like all these, uh, like the Jepson private pilot books. Like he got me like the whole starter kit. And I was like, well, there's no turning back now. And yeah, so like, I guess we're doing this. <laughs> guess I'm going full speed ahead. And that's when I decided to enroll in ATP flight school at Riverside in Southern California. 
And that was in 2014, and I haven't looked back since. <laughs> when you mentioned that you grew up in an aviation family, because I grew up in an aviation family too. I grew up, my dad's a pilot, my grandpa's a pilot, but aviation was never really a part of our life. It's, it's what my dad did. We never went to the airport, never flew in small planes. Uh, it's just really interesting that we can both be from aviation families and have two kind of different experiences yeah. when we're growing up. Um, like you said, you didn't know it wasn't normal for someone not to just like, Hey, you want to go fly to lunch an hour away? And like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. right. What like, was, wanted- I was going to say, what is kind of the experience of having that? Was there any pressure to become a pilot? Uh, I know I'm, I'm guessing there wasn't, but in some families it might kind of feel pressured to, to continue that legacy, to continue the, the coolness or the cool factor of being a pilot. Or is it just kind of like, Hey, if you want to do it, let's go, let's go up and go get breakfast or go fly or do whatever. Um, honestly, there wasn't, there wasn't really any pressure. Uh, my dad was in the air force and he was a flight engineer. And so he didn't, he wasn't an actual pilot in the air force, but he was getting his pilot ratings at March air force base. And so I'd usually go fly with him in the back of the airplane. He would always ask me, Hey, you want to go? We're going with so-and-so and this person. And that's how I developed all these connections in the air force. And I love them now, but there was, there was never any pressure. He would always just ask like, Hey, you want to go fly? And Nine times out of 10, the answer is like, yep, sure do. And so I would always just sit in the back seat. And I think that's why I never got sick and got sick because he would always do in steep turns and stalls in the back seat. And it was no big deal to me because I was doing it since I was six. That's hilarious. <laughs> so you kind of essentially grew up on the plane then? Yeah, basically. I mean, I was even born on March Air Force Base. So <laughs> which is basically born into it. That's hilarious. Um, so you mentioned about your uncle, how he kind of ran with you with the idea of becoming a pilot. What about your dad? Was your dad all for it too? Or did he have some hesitations? So, um, my, my dad passed away in 2005 in, um, in our beach musketeer that we had on his way up to Mammoth. And so that's kind of why I never really thought that I would get into aviation as a career. I kind of, when that happened back in 2005, I kind of got out of aviation. I didn't, didn't go to the airport anymore. I didn't go flying little airplanes anymore. I didn't have that access and so it, it almost kind of became like a hatred, like why you took my dad away. So why do I want to go and go, go and do that for my career? And then I ended up hanging out with my uncle a lot, who was up in Northern California. And he would always fly down to Southern California and text me like, Hey, I'm down here with like a TBM or a Malibu. You, you want to go fly around? I'm like, all right, I'll go fly around. And so he kind of brought that love for aviation back when my dad wasn't around and my mom was a little hesitant about like, are you sure this is what you want to do? Like, are you, is, are you sure? And I was like, yep, this is what I want to do. I really love it. Like I, I, I want to try this. And she, she didn't really hesitate. She, she just wanted to make sure that this is what I wanted. And so she did. And she, she has supported me ever since. And all of her friends have supported me, the rest of my family. They think it's still, they still think it's crazy that I wanted to be a pilot after what happened to my father, but it's, I mean, it, like I said, my uncle's one of the big ones who, who got me into it and still still pushed me after the after the accident happened. So, um, and he's been there every step of the way. Like I said, he's corporate. And so I always thought I wanted to go corporate too, but weird things happen in aviation. You never know where you're going to end up. I say it's never too late. We can get we can get you to the dark side by the end of this podcast. I can have you sign a contract, you know? <laughs> you, you never know. Yeah. A five-year training contract, so you can't leave for five years. No, <laughs> no uh, I'm sorry to hear about that. I didn't know that. Uh, that, is, that in itself is enough to kind of take someone out of aviation for us or life. And it's totally okay. Totally. Like no one would ever question you for not wanting to go into aviation. If you have something traumatic that happens like that. 
what yeah. was the mental process of trying to, I don't know if accept it is the right word, but trying to accept the fact that that tragedy doesn't translate into every other airplane, if that makes sense. Like, uh, I guess not being afraid of going up to fly or the feelings you had toward flying. What, what was able to get you to accept that and move past that? I think what helps me accept it is that he, he passed away doing something that he absolutely loved. Um, I think the harder part of accepting is was I was actually supposed to be with him. I was supposed to go flying with him that day. He asked me, he's like, Hey, do you want to go fly to mammoth with me? And my best friend and her dad, we were all supposed to go fly up to mammoth that day, but it being a school day, moms are like, Nope, you guys have tests. You're not allowed to go. And so there's almost kind of like a guilt factor into it. But, um, just knowing that he passed away doing something he loved. And then when I go flying, I feel like he's still always with me. Like he's there like in the sky with me, flying with me. And it kind of makes me not second guess, but kind of like think of like everything that could go wrong and like always learning from like the mistakes that I've made. And I don't like reading the NTSB report. I don't think he really made any mistakes. There's questions that I have like, well, all these things happen. Like, why did you have to go? But it's just kind of like learning from learn, learning from the mistakes is kind of like what helps me and learning every day and growing as a pilot and trying to be better than I was the day prior and knowing. Yeah. And just knowing that he'll he'll I, when I fly, I feel like I'm closer to him because I feel like he's always going to be there. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, reading an NTSB report, especially when it's something as personal as that. Uh, that can yeah. be really hard and that, that just is not easy. So I'm very, very happy to see you in the air and flying because like I said, something like that can really kind of take you out of aviation and that's okay. Like what everyone would understand, but it sounds like you have created and there's this really kind of passion and this is a great relationship between you and flying and your dad as well. So I, I think yeah. he's definitely up there happy and smiling down. Yeah. Cause I, I try to look at all the positives that, that come from it and like, I, I know I'll never have that uh, father-daughter in the flight deck at an airline picture or anything like that or flying on my dad's retirement flight or anything like that. But I kind of try to think, like, if he didn't pass away in a plane crash, like, would I be where I am today? Would I still be a pilot or would I have taken a different path because I didn't have the passion to get back into aviation? Would Would the stars have aligned and would I have reconnected with my uncle, who is also a pilot, to to fight, live with his family and see and grow with his family now and things like that. So I, I try to find the positives out of, out of everything that's happened. That's good. And, and sometimes that's the, the only thing to do and the best thing to do as well. Uh, did your uncle, did he have any reservations about going into flying either? Or is he kind of uh, just set right back on the plane and get back up? Uh, no. So my uncle and my dad weren't very close. It's a little, little bit of family drama there, but they weren't, they weren't super close. And He's had his, uh, <laughs> I don't want to tell his story, but he's had some issues with the airplanes too, but nope, he has zero reservations. Um, him, my aunt and my two cousins, they all go up and fly all the time. Um, he actually lives out, a lives near the Camarillo airport. So every time I go home, I try to go out there and, uh, and, and, and fly with him as much as I can. And my aunt always yells at us to stop talking about airplanes all the time now. So <laughs> like my wife, whenever I go down to other pilots, Christina is like, uh, can we talk about something else, please? First of all, you tell the same stories over and over again. Haven't you all heard these before? Does anything new happen to you guys? <laughs> right. Like I was flying this ILS man down to minimums. So my aunt's like, can we not? <laughs> I know. It's like, oh gosh. She's going to take a shot every time you tell an airplane story. <laughs> 
What? Um, so you decided to get into aviation. Your uncle kind of ran full speed ahead and he wanted to, you to go, you to prosper in this career. Uh, you mentioned that you did really well in that school. You mentioned that you went to ATP. Did you look for any other schools? Was there uh, a long list of schools for you to choose from? Did you look for some close to home, farther away from home? What was your thought process in choosing the school you wanted to go to? So the ground school that I went to, it was at the community college that I happened to be at. So it just kind of worked out to go to that one. And um, when it came to flight schools, I was kind of texting my uncle like, hey, do you have any advice? Like what flight school should I go to? And him being in Northern California, he didn't really have any advice. And I wasn't as savvy on social media as I am now. <laughs> and so, um, I didn't really think to go ask Facebook, like, Hey, what flight schools are there? I didn't think to look for like a pilot page or anything like that. I just kind of, I just kind of Googled and my uncle had went to ATP, I believe for like his multi, like his multi add on and his ATP stuff, like way back at way back in the day. And so he had recommended ATP, told me to look into ATP. And so I did. And I saw, I'm like, Oh, zero to hero in six months. Mom, look at this. This sounds great. Don't worry about the price. It's fine. <laughs> want to make so, <laughs> so much money in six months. Don't worry. Yeah. It's, it's cool. And then I get a job afterwards only making like 30 grand. It's fine. It's great. Don't worry. But I'm happy. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> and so I was, I was very naive at, when picking a flight school, but I'm, I'm happy that I went to ATP. There's, I've met a lot of great people there. I have a lot of great instructors who I still talk to today who all even text when I'm in the airplane. Cause they've, they've been captains longer than I have. I'm like, Hey, this happened to me today. Like, what would you do? Like, I'm, and so it's still great to have that. Hey, there's still my CFI mentality, but we're both captains at, at airlines. <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned kind of, I guess you're talking about ATP. Would you go back and do it again? Would you choose the same flight school? I know obviously you, everyone has their own experiences and I've heard good things and bad things from ATP. It's expensive, but it can set you up if you, if you have the right mentality. Would you go back and do it again? Or would you, like you said, use other tools like Instagram or Facebook to try to find a more, maybe somewhere as farther away, cheaper, or just different than ATP? I think... I mean, as much as I did like ATP, I did have a lot of bad, like a lot of like bad things happen to me. But like I said, I try to find the positives out of everything and doing it again. I think I would probably go to a mom and pop school. So then I would have had a better foundation as a private pilot and not just the knowledge to pass a check ride. Um, when I became a CFI, I kind of learned, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of stuff I don't know all right, let's, let's all learn this together. And luckily my students were really, were really patient with me and I was really patient with them and we all learned together. But you, I do realize that they, you do have a lot of holes if you go to ATP. Um, at least I did, um, from, from my experience. Um, so like, like you said, there are good and bad experiences at ATP. And I had a relatively good experience with some, with a little bit of bad, but I think I'd go back and have more of the freedom of like a mom and pop school to go back and work on like this parts that I knew I struggled on, like holds. I still struggle with holds. So I'm really glad I have an airplane that can hold for me. <laughs> I know, right? You just type in the radio, right turns, like, distance of like, time. Oh, yeah, yeah, right? I'm like, uh, I don't know what kind of entry. Just enter it and stay on the safe side, please. It's hilarious. It's like, uh, I'm a captain now. If you're a first officer, load that, please. <laughs> yep. Sounds like an FO problem. <laughs> yeah. Use, use the AOM. Come on. You got this. <laughs> right. 
But yeah, I think I'd go back and go to like a mom and pop school and kind of like explore explore the different type of airplanes between like a Cessna and a Piper, uh, low wing versus high wing, and kind of and kind of like see what it's all about. And um, ATP never let you take up family members, so like I've I've still never uh, I've only taken my mom up in the Q four hundred. I've never taken her up in like a small airplane or anything like that. Um, and so it would be nice to be able to like rent an airplane and take up some of your friends. I've taken up a couple, but not very many. So, well, ATP is, is very good for certain people in certain situations. Yeah. It's not fair for, even if someone has a bad experience with them, it's not fair to fully bash that school because it does work. It has been proven to yeah. work for certain people. Uh, you might find yourself when you get there and it's probably too late and the money's already been spent. But if it's an unfortunate situation, it's like, you kind of have to make the best you have to make uh, what is it? You have to make a lemon, lemon, lemonade with lemons, whatever it's called. Yeah, I mean, I, there yeah. it is. <laughs> you essentially yeah. have to work, but it, it's for certain people, and it sounds like you did make the best of it too. Yeah, I completely agree. And I mean, growing having like a parents who are in the in the Air Force, you kind of like get the like, okay, you got to learn this mentality, and you kind of get like a strict learning mentality, and that's kind of what I had from my dad, and I wasn't really like. Oh, I needed to be coddled, but there's some things I'm like, Hey, can you reteach this to me? They're like, Nope, you get to study on your own. I'm like, okay, cool. Great. Wonderful. Let me go open the book. Um, but I kind of liked the stricter instruction. I kind of liked the whole, let's all learn this all at once kind of thing. I'm a pretty quick learner. As long as I can get it understood, I like to do everything wrong. So know why it's wrong. And, <laughs> and that helps my mind process on, okay, so this is why it's right but you can't do it this way because this is why this is what will happen. And so this is why we use right rudder and a power on stall. So we don't spin yes. toward the ground. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. I won't do that again. <laughs> okay. Noted. <laughs> yeah. um, when you were getting ready for ATP, I, I didn't go to ATP. I, I had an option. It was one of the flight schools I was choosing from, and I eventually chose against it to go to a mom and pop school. But when you were making that choice and when you did go, what was it like? I mean, obviously it's zero to zero to hero in six months. In some cases, I guess it could be longer depending on what you choose. But what was the process like from your first day of getting the materials? Do they send you stuff early and expect you to already have a certain kind of knowledge? Or was it you knew nothing getting in there first day and then they just, it's like a sprint for six months, figure it out? Well, I went back in 2014. So this is before they really sent you any of the material. From what I remember... They like they didn't send you anything other than like the Cessna and Piper checklist and like their pamphlet that they wanted you to memorize. I don't think they sent us anything else. They wanted you to have an iPad and four flight, and so I had that. So I showed up first day, all ready to go, and I my instructor wasn't the greatest instructor, um, and so I I fell behind because of that. And so instead of it taking six months, it took me about nine months because of that falling behind. But, uh, the first day we went and flew and he was nice that day. He's like, Oh yeah, you're a natural. You know how to fly. And then it was kind of weird. Cause like, there wasn't really a, like a set curriculum. Cre- cre- I can't even say that word curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That there wasn't, there wasn't anything set to learn like there is now, or when I was an instructor, at least that I knew of. So like there, he didn't give me certain things to study. And back in 2014, it was private pilot instrument. So you're taking the private pilot instrument at the same time. Oh, yikes. <laughs> yeah. And so that's what you were studying for. And luckily for me, since I fell behind, they had changed the program. So it was private pilot, then instrument, or then multi, then instrument. And so 
I got really lucky and didn't have to take both check rides in one. Yeah, that'd be a mess. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, I know some people who took it and they passed and I, I, I bow down to them because I couldn't do it. But um, after I got a new instructor and kind of got like set guidelines of like what I needed to study, okay, study this tonight, come, come here knowing how to do this, this and this, it was a lot better for me. Like I needed the structure. I couldn't just go out. I couldn't just go back home and just like, okay, I can't just open a book and read because I don't, I need, I need to know what I need to know kind of thing. Yeah. You need kind of, like you said, you need a little bit of structure. You need kind of a yeah. game plan. Like, all right, if I just, if you just ship someone a jet private pilot book and tell them to study, it's like, all right, where do I start? I get that there's chapters, yeah. but like, obviously there's more important stuff in certain chapters. There's no now, do I need to know this too? Or do I read past, you know, it's just, yeah, yeah. that's a lot. Yeah. So it was nice to have that structure. And when I got my new CFI, we kind of did like a mock oral to kind of see like where the holes were and, there was obviously quite a few. And so he's like, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this. And then we finally got to the check ride. And then we moved on to the next, we got to multi and instrument. And after, after I got past private pilot, it moved fairly quickly. And, um, I ended up going out to Jacksonville for what they call a stands or standardization. And I ended up deciding like, Oh, I'm going to do my commercial or my CFI single and CFII out here in Jacksonville. And that, that was a mistake. Do not do that. Really? Yeah. Um, I thought I was like, okay, well, ATV is going to start paying me when I get to stands. So I'm going to get paid to take two check rides. That seems like a good idea. Um, but I didn't know the airspace. I didn't know the, I didn't know the runways. I didn't know the airport. I didn't really know much of anything. I was just kind of winging it. And for all the ATP people out there, they all know Ernie Strange and Ernie Strange is like the one DPE who could pass you, but you're still crying at the end. And that's exactly how I was. I passed but I was still crying at the end. I felt like I was a horrible instructor. And it, it, I think that prolonged a lot of it too. Cause I stayed out in Jacksonville for I think a month or two before I was able to come back to the West coast and start actually teaching. So that sounds like a terrible experience, but Hey, I'm just happy. I passed. I, I have my ratings. I'm good to go. Could you imagine if you were the DPE that had the reputation of making people cry? Maybe he like, Loved it secretly. He was like, had this huge power trip, but that's. I think great. he does. I mean, he's still out there doing it. And I mean, ATP still uses him. So he's doing yeah. something right. Maybe he has and, a good discount for him <laughs> or he takes him out the time. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Hopefully yeah. he's listening to this. <laughs> That'd if be you awesome. are listening, no. <laughs> yeah, email me, man. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to figure out why you want to make people cry. <laughs> Let's figure this out. <laughs> I think he just wanted to show that. Uh, because I, I remember saying, like, he was asking me what taxi instructions we got. And I was like, oh, we're going to taxi here, here, and here. And I had said the wrong taxiway, but I had turned on the right one. And I was like, we're turning on the golf. He's like, really? This is Bravo. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's fine. At least we made it. And he's like, and he got he got all upset over that. And he's like, what if I was a student? And like, how would you teach your student this, this? I'm like, oh, man, I thought the check ride was over. Apparently it's not. <laughs> I tell him to be better than me. That I'm Frick, not perfect. Yeah. Don't make my same mistakes. Yeah. Like I'm showing you what not to do. <laughs> yeah. This is how you don't taxi. Yeah. Positive learning. It's always good. Yeah. Negative learning. 
Um, when you were talking about you had a f- bad flight instructor, did you have any options to, to choose another one? I, w- I started at Ohio State and you were a signed instructor. And I'm guessing you could go and ask for a new instructor if it just wasn't working, but they really wanted you to kind of make it work with that instructor, mainly because there's a lot of students and not as many instructors. So it was hard to really cater to everyone's needs and what they needed to learn. What was your options when you were having difficulties with uh, your first instructor? So at ATP, I think they have kind of the same mentality. Like you get assigned an instructor and you're, they want you to stay with that instructor. Uh, me being as naive as I was back in 2014 and not being as like outspoken as I am now, uh, I didn't, I didn't think to ask for a new instructor. I thought that's just how it was. Like all the things that he was doing wrong, I didn't know were wrong until I got a new instructor until he ended up leaving ATP. And I didn't, I didn't know until other students came up to me and said, Hey, is he doing this, this, and this, you know, that's not right. Right. You know, that's against the rules. I'm like, well, I had no idea. And so I didn't think to talk to anybody. I didn't think to ask anybody for advice or like, I didn't think to question him. I didn't think to question. Cause I looked at him as like a higher up as a, as a higher authority. I didn't think to question my authority. Um, and so, like I said, looking at it now, yeah, I would have asked for a new instructor and be like, hey, I'm just not learning. Like, this isn't going right. But I didn't know. So, um, and that probably also hindered a little bit of my my progress because I didn't take the time to stand up for myself and ask for somebody. Yeah. It's like you said, though, he is kind of uh, your superior, you know? Why yeah. would you question him? He's a CFI. He's already been in your situation. He should know better. And I feel like that's an issue in the training world uh, at some of the bigger flight schools, maybe even mom and pop schools as well. But yeah. I feel like there's just, a, there's culture there that the CFI knows and you know nothing and you should just be able to make it work. Whatever CFI says, but sometimes the CFI can be wrong. You might just get a bad CFI. That is possible. Yeah. They are out there. Uh, and it's important to figure out how to speak up in the right way. You know, you don't want to be uh, calling people out on, on Facebook, Instagram, or no. you want to do the due diligence and make sure you can make it work between him and or her and make sure it's all right. But make sure you're figuring out what works for you. You know how you learn, you know what's best for you. And if it's not clicking, they could even be the best instructor. They just don't fit with you. Then no, no sweat off their back. They probably have another student to go to anyway. So it's all good. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And I mean, if I had a student that came up to me and said, Hey, we're just not clicking. Like, I don't like the way you teach. Like I, I would not be offended be like, man, this is your money. If I'm not giving you what you need, by all means go to somebody else. And I think looking like the advice I'd give myself back then, like ask the questions, like maybe don't go to your CFI. Cause he, I was intimidated because I didn't know anything about aviation. Like, go go ask somebody else in the flight school. Go ask the other instructor. Like, hey, this is what he's doing. Like, is this okay? Um, or am I overreacting? Or go ask another student. Like, hey, this is what my instructor is doing. What's yours doing? Kind of get some opinions before you go like full string ahead. I want a new instructor just to see, if, just to see if maybe it's like you or if it is your instructor. Or I mean, it, even if you're not clicking. Yeah, especially at a school like ATP where there's similar students in the same situation as you. You guys should have similar. Uh, I'm guessing ATP wants things to look very similar. So you should be doing very similar yeah. things. Yeah, you'll either have, yeah, exactly. It's very standardized. Uh, it's, you do this, this, and this in this timely fashion. And you'll have students before you and you'll have students after you in the program. So there's always someone to go ask like, hey, I, I'm doing this. Like, I, th- I've never done this before. I've never seen you guys do it. Is this normal? No, it's not normal. Okay, going to go talk to a manager and see what's up. Yeah, and there is something to say as well. If you just get a tough instructor, someone that maybe knows what they want or knows their stuff really good, 
is a good teacher, but expects a lot out of you, that doesn't give you an excuse just because you don't like them, their personality wise. Yes. Uh, I mean, some people are tough and you could learn very well from them if you can just go with what they're saying and, and put in the work. Maybe they expect yeah. more out of you. Uh, it, it's important to say that you shouldn't run to a different instructor every time you do have an issue. You just need to figure out what the issue is and dig deeper and finally figure out if it's a fundamental issue or if it's just expectation. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I definitely had instructors who pushed me hard and um, I definitely thank them to this day, uh, for, for pushing me and saying like, well, yeah, now you're a better, now you're a better pilot because I pushed you. I'm like, yeah, I just didn't know that then I was, I was, I was a little offended then, but now I'm happy. <laughs> you didn't so, have to call yeah, me all those names. What the heck? <laughs> I know you didn't have to make me cry. Jeez. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like what you said, I agree with a hundred percent. Like sometimes, like even if they are pushing you, it's because they want to see you succeed. It's not because they want to see you break down. It's because they know that you're going to go out and be a pilot after this. Your name is in their log, but your, their name is in your logbook and they want to see you be the best you can be. And so not every time is it to belittle you. Sometimes it's to make you better and to help you in the future. Cause you might have a mean captain one day. You might have a mean no chief way. pilot one yeah. day. Yeah, you never, never know. <laughs> They're all perfect. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, all perfect. Um, your experience at ATP, uh, was it kind of promised that you're going to be there zero to six months and get everything? Is that kind of what you signed up for? Yeah, that was kind of what I signed up for. I was going to be zero to six months, and then I'd get my CFI, and then I'd CFI for them until 1,500 hours, and then I'd go to the regionals and be like a good regional pilot, and then I'd go to the majors. It's, basically what they sold me. So and what actually kind of, was the timeline? Um, so I started in February, like the end of February, 2014. And I think I finished by the new year, um, having all my ratings and being done in stands was finished by the new year. And then I wasn't back to the West coast until January actually instructing. So almost a year, um, actually getting everything done. But like I said, I did have those few step backs, but um, and then I started instructing at, uh, I actually went to river, not Riverside. I went to Mesa gateway for, I went there for a week and then I got back to Riverside. So I was able to go back to where I trained, which is really lucky. I hear a lot of people don't get to do that. Yeah. Um, anything kind of flight training in Mesa, if you're a CFI or just a student, sounds like a lot. <laughs> Whenever yeah. we fly there, uh, in our, in corporate world, it's always like, all right, we gotta be, we gotta pay attention because we never know what's going to happen out here. Yeah, they took me on an intro flight out of Mesa and they told me about the stack. I'm like, the hell is the stack? What? You have eight airplanes holding? This does not seem okay. Yeah, it's a but disaster right. waiting to happen for sure. Yep. But it seems I'm to work, gonna, I guess, right? I know. Yeah, it, it's worked and yeah. I'm just going to go fly in California. I'll see you guys later. I'm good. See you guys. <laughs> So not many people have the opportunity to go back to teach where they learned. Was there a certain circumstance that worked out there or just happened to be good luck on your part? So a lot of places like Long Beach, like, um, I guess a lot of people want to go back to their original location, but, um, it all depends on where, uh, ATP needs instructors. You don't, they'll give you like a list of what, what locations need instructors. And usually the good locations are usually, uh, picked first. So in Southern California, that's usually Carlsbad and Long Beach are the big ones. No one really wants Riverside cause it's kind of not the prettiest location ever. Um, and, but me being me, I'm like, I'll go to Riverside. And so I, I got Riverside right away. Um, and I, I lived at home with my mom. I was lucky. So I got to drive back and forth. I didn't need the instructor or student housing. So 
I was happy to go to Riverside and instruct at Riverside place where I knew where I was familiar with. And I, I knew the maintenance, it was a maintenance location. Um, that's where my love for maintenance started as well. And if I was, I feel like I got lucky, but I think it's because a lot of people didn't want to go to Riverside, California to instruct. What does that process look for in choosing where you go? Is it seniority based? Is it newest pilot gets the first slot in the crappiest place? And then as you go up, you get to choose a different base based on seniority? Um, I believe so. Um, when we, when we were in stands, which they don't have stands anymore from what I know, um, you give them like your top three choices. So of course I said anywhere in California, I'll be fine with. So Riverside, Long Beach, Carlsbad, I'll even go up to Sacramento, um, Phoenix if I need to. And so I got Phoenix and I think it was just because of where they needed instructors. And most people who want a West coast went to Phoenix first. And then from there they would spread out as places opened up and it went off of seniority and you could go into their ATP extranet and choose which base you wanted and just kind of hoped you got it. What is, uh, what's the lifestyle as an ATP instructor? Do you get paid? Do they, or I guess they will obviously pay you, but is it uh, less pay and they offer to pay back some of your student loans that you have? Is it uh, better pay because it's a very competitive, uh, it was a very competitive time for CFIs when you were CFIing. What did, what did that lifestyle look like? Um, again, I was very naive when it came to CFIing and I, I wanted to go back to my comfort zone. I knew ATP, I knew the airplanes, I knew how they functioned. So I went back to ATP to be a CFI and the more hours you flew, the more, the more you made hourly, if that made sense, if that makes sense. So if you flew like a hundred hours in a month, your hourly wage went up. But if you only flew say 30 hours, you had a lower hourly wage. And so I want to say it was like around like $10 an hour. Like it was really, it wasn't great. Not great at all. Now that I think about it. (laughs) You're like, dang, why'd I do that? (laughs) Like, wow, not my (laughs) smartest move. But um, yeah, so the more hours you flew, the the more you got paid. Um, And if your students passed check rides, you got a bonus. If your students passed uh, writtens, you got a bonus. If you're student did something else, you got a bonus, um, and things like that. If you did certain amount of Sims in a day, you got a bonus. Um, ATP didn't personally pay you back for your student loans, but they had, um, they had like a tuition reimbursement. So if you chose to go to a regional that had that tuition reimbursement, like your bonus would go to reimbursing your loans instead of getting like that full 10 grand or whatever it may have been back then. Okay. Um, when you were CFIing, did you stay for 1500 hours and ride at 1500 hours? Did you bounce or was it take a little bit longer and stay a CFI longer? Nope. So I CFI'd at ATP for about a year and I ended up leaving ATP and that's when I kind of got savvy on social media. And one of my friends that I had met over Instagram was like, Hey, we need another traffic watch pilot. Do you want to come fly for us? And I was like, Sure. And so I went and flew a, a janky Cessna 2,000 feet above downtown LA, reporting, having a reporter in the back reporting the traffic. So, and then um, I did that for actually a few months. And I had applied to Boutique Air, great old boutique. And um, they, I had applied to them, and I completely had forgotten that I had applied. And I think it's because my uncle told me to apply and I was like, all right, I had no idea who they were. And so 
I applied and they called me and I interviewed and they're like, well, do you want a PC 12 job? And I was like, mm, well, where? And they said in Denver. It's like, no, I have an interview with Surfair. I don't want to move to Denver if I can stay in California with Surfair. But you guys have King Ears, right? Yeah, we have King Ears. Well, if you type me in the King Ear, I'll move to Denver. I'm like, okay, well, we'll give you a call back in, in a week. And then, of course, I interviewed at Surfair and I did not get the job. <laughs> I was like, well, that sucked. <laughs> so boutique, you guys still hiring? <laughs> so boutique, what's <laughs> up? Your girl they Emily. Have, <laughs> <laughs> they actually called me back in a week. They're like, hey, if you move to Denver, we'll PIC type you in the King Ear 350. I had no idea they had King Ears. Yep, they have currently, I believe they have PC12s, the Kingers, and Piaggios, believe Ooh. it or not. Yeah. Great one. I know that's I know that's your favorite. Yeah. Love me a <laughs> Piaggio. <laughs> um, and so uh, I accepted the job with boutique and I told my mom, hey, I gotta move to Denver in a month. <laughs> She's like, What? Like, yep. And so I ended up moving out to Denver and working for a boutique, went to flight safety and good old Wichita. And yeah, I learned a lot about 135. <laughs> working for the uh, 135 can be a rough business for sure. Um, the companies operate under the regulations most of the time. And, but those regulations can lead to a very long day and multiple long days at that. Yes. I did learn a lot about what my limitations are and what I will and will not accept as a pilot. Um, I definitely learned what my uh, limits as flying the airplane are as well. And I think flying for boutique is what pushed me towards 121. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I did uh, single pilot freight. So I flew a PC-12 single pilot freight and they took really good care of the airplanes, but just the demands and the flying and the weather and everything, it was, uh, I'm surprised that that didn't push me toward 121 as well. But I guess I just it really enjoyed kind of the challenge of it because there is a different challenge between 121 and uh, 91, 91K, 135. Um, yeah. It's not better. It's not worse. It's just, it's just different. They're both two different beasts with two way different pressures. Uh, I don't have to worry about being on time. All of, I mean, we obviously need to be on time, but it's whenever our passengers show up, that's on time. You know, it's not yeah. like there's really no late essentially. So there's just very much different pressures in each world. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. And I mean, I loved working at boutique, like the people there were awesome. I, like I said, I have some great friends from, from boutique and I, I learned a lot about aviation and myself. And I, I think boutique is a great place for any low time pilot to go. Not that they may not be hiring low time pilots anytime soon because of COVID, but if you're able to get in there, I highly recommend it. You will learn so much and it definitely helped me when I went to the 121 world, knowing how to fly a turboprop and knowing the, just knowing like high altitude stuff and working in a crew environment definitely helps a lot. You don't have that. Well, I'm the CFI, so I know best kind of mentality anymore. You're, you're kind of know how the, that CRM works. Yeah. Do you think you mentioned how you you were like, oh, I got to move in a month. I got to, there's a lot of like moving around and figuring out what flight school to go to. And, and there's Phoenix, there's Jacksonville, there's Denver. Do you think people fully understand how much of uh, kind of your life's up in the air when you come to flight school? Like, I guess a lot of students will look at it and be like, oh, cool. I'm going to ATP in uh, Phoenix, but, uh, and they think they're going to stay in Phoenix their whole life or their whole everything. Do you think as a new student getting into this fully understands the commitment of not knowing where you're going to be in six months really is? I think they might know more now because there is a lot more social media now than there was 
back in when I went and well, I didn't have a whole lot of social media back then, but now I see I'm on all those ATP pages and people ask those questions. Those are questions people ask. And like I said, I was naive and I didn't think to ask that, but the information is now out there that you might not be instructing where you were a student, but people have the choice to not instruct at ATP. And again, I didn't know about that option. I didn't think to leave and go to the flight school that was next door. I didn't think to do that. And I think people, a lot of the people going in now can kind of see, hey, ATP is great for my ratings, but not great to work for. So I'm going to do this. But I always recommend going to ATP for a few months to CFI, even though the pay isn't great. Go get your feet wet as a CFI in a place you know, and then leave. So then you're not bombarding yourself with everything new at once, having a new job as a CFI, working for a new employer and all that in a new area or something. So I always recommend going back and doing what you know for a little bit and then, and then branching out. Yeah, for sure. I could see that. Um, becoming an instructor, was it everything you thought it was going to be? Was it completely different than you thought it was going to be? What was your experience with uh, instructing? Um, I'm not quite sure what I thought it was going to be, to be honest with you. Um, like I said, I, I didn't know that there was anything out there other than being a CFI and then going to the regionals. I didn't realize I could go to boutique with 300 hours because I would have applied, but I didn't know. And so when I was instructing, um, I was, I was very nervous. I didn't think I was going to be a very good instructor. I didn't think I would like teaching, but I figured I didn't have any choice, so I'm going to suck it up and do it anyways. And, I mean, you would have to ask my students. Most of them passed check rides, so I feel like I did a semi-decent job. But um, I, I was very nervous. I didn't really have the confidence. I didn't feel like I had the confidence when I first started out to be a very good instructor. And luckily, I... And it's kind of hard to go that transition because you go back to the same flight school or the same location that you were a student at. Now you're teaching the students that you were a student with <laughs> that were just behind you, slowly behind you in the program. You're like, well, now I'm your CFI. Like, you know what I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know all my flaws. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and, but I think that's also what helped me out was like these people already knew who I was. And so we would just go fly and we would work on everything together as a team. And that, that really helped me. And, and I, I still like to teach. Um, I would love to get into the training department at my, at my airline. Um, it'd be nice to, to get back into that teaching mentality. Being yeah. a captain, you're kind of always teaching now, but yeah, in a way. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something that's very interesting to me and very kind of important. I feel like in the industry for new CFIs is, when you're a new CFI, you're not going to have any confidence because you don't know what you're doing. You have no idea what you're doing. You're in charge yeah. of all the, these flight students, and you might even have a student that knows more than you do in certain situations. How do you gain confidence as a CFI? What should a new CFI, how should they attack starting to be a new CFI? How do they respect their students? How do they not come off as, as being jerks or get offended if the student doesn't qu or questions them? or kind of what, what should be a game plan for someone that just got their CFI that's just getting ready to go teach right now? I think my best advice would be to know know your lesson plan inside and out when you're going to your student and be honest with your student. Just be like, hey, I'm a new CFI. I might not know something, but you might know it. Like, let's let's learn together. We're both here to learn. We're, no one knows more than the next person. If I don't know an answer, I'll go look it up for you. And if you don't know an answer, we'll look it up together kind of thing. Um, don't go in there thinking that you're going to be the best 
best pilot known to man. Um, just kind of go in there and kind of like humble yourself and know that you're, you're still new and you're still learning as well. That's, I mean, when I upgraded from the Q to the E-175, I was a captain in an airplane. I had never flown in a jet that I've never been in. I had never flown a jet before. So I'm like, uh, all right, here we go. And I knew I had, I was flying with first officers who had almost a thousand hours in this airplane and I had maybe 25. So they obviously knew more than me. And I kind of took the same mentality into that. First time you put the power for you're like, ah, uh, here we go. All right. <laughs> yeah. And we're going forward. Yeah. And they're letting <laughs> me do this. So sweet. Um, going into, so obviously you talked about all the jobs Keon had. So after Boutique and the King Air, did you make your way over to the regionals? I did. So um, I did. So Boutique, uh, back in 2000, I was there in 2016. Yeah. 2016, they made you sign a contract. And I mean, I was always taught my, my DPEs that I had in California. I, Pat Carey, I love him until the day he dies. He's the best man ever. Um, he always taught me, if you're going to get a type rating, you make sure you stay at that airline or that regional or that 135 for at least a year. You owe them a year of your life if you're going to get a type rating. And I took that to heart. Like Whether people <laughs> think I'm right or wrong, if you're going to type rate me for free and I'm not paying for it, I'll, I'll stay there for a year. And that's what I did at boutique. I stayed for a year to the day because oh, I didn't really? want to pay. Funny. You didn't mess around. <laughs> I did not mess around. I stayed to the day. And then I went and interviewed I had two interviews, one at horizon and one at sky West and horizon was first. And I had an absolute blast at my interview. And I don't think anyone has ever <laughs> said they had a blast at an aviation interview. But I had a great time. I had a lot of fun. Everyone there was great. Everyone there was awesome. The vibe was amazing. And then they offered me the job at the end of the interview. And I was like, you know what? Yes, I want to work here. And then the next day I called Skywest and canceled my interview and just went full blast into Horizon. That's crazy. I mean, yeah, sometimes you just know. Sometimes you show up yeah. in a place. It's like a flight student choosing a, a, a flight school. You you walk in, you meet the people, and you just know this is the right fit for you. Um, yeah. What were you looking for? What was most important to you? Was it the signing bonus? Was it the pay? Was it the bases, airplanes, uh, culture? What were you looking for in a regional? Well, um, it definitely wasn't the pay because uh, Horizon's definitely not the top in pay. But um, I, coming from boutique and being Denver-based at boutique, everyone was like a family. Like We all hung out after work. We all texted each other. We were all really close. And so I was kind of looking for that in a regional. Like I wanted to go to a regional where I could make a difference, where not necessarily have my name known, but have be like a presence that can make change and change for the better. And I think that's what's what I'm attempting to do at Horizon. And so when I went there, the like the interview wasn't it wasn't like the most formal interview. I was in an office, like a random office someone's office they had posters of justin timberlake up in the background and so uh when they asked me about my flight plan uh the flight plan they wanted me to do and i was like well justin and i are going to take you here <laughs> and, and they and they laughed i'm like okay well if i can make these guys laugh like these are supposed to be the head honchos of the interview and when i was talking to the chief pilot at the time for my chief pilot interview he was showing me pictures of him at a bar with mooses outside i'm like yep this is where i want to go <laughs> and so um it, i had a good time and i i felt like i would be at home at horizon that's where i wanted to be 
Uh, I liked how you said that you wanted to go somewhere that you could make a change. Um, a lot of times you go somewhere and you're just a number. Uh, some people don't like that. Some people can't really kind of grab, wrap their mind around the fact that they're just a number. Uh, if their seniority list number falls when they need to be furloughed, they're getting furloughed. Company doesn't really care. Like it's all get in when you can seniority in your number. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, that's exactly what I didn't want to be just a number. I wanted to be a person at a, at a company. How, how do you do that? How, what would you say for someone? Cause like you said, it is a big company. How do you make a name for yourself and, and, and vote <laughs> change and start change and, and not kind of be known. Like you said, you don't want to be known, but you don't want to be a number. You know, you got to kind of like find like a happy <laughs> medium in there because you don't want the chief pilot to know you by name. Usually it means you've done stupid things. So how do oh. you go about that? How do you successfully do that? I feel like that's a very difficult thing to, to get. Well, the chief pilots definitely know my name, so I'm not quite sure how to answer that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't saying you always do something bad for that to happen because I would that's, say that our chief pilots true. know us too. But so. I, I moved from SoCal to Denver to for boutique, but when I got hired at Horizon, I didn't I didn't move for Horizon. I stayed in Denver and I commute. I've commuted for the last three years, and I became a pro at the jump seat. And everyone was asking questions on our Facebook page, like, "How do I jump seat this? How do I jump seat here? How do I use this jump seat?" And I was always the one answering. And someone's like, Emily, why don't you just join the the jump seat union committee? And I was like, oh, all right. And so seriously, about like six months in, I was I was on the union jump seat committee. <laughs> uh, already, already doing union work and helping out our pilots on how they can get from around the country from point A to point B. And if they can't do point A to point B direct, okay, here's A, B, C, D, all the way to Z on what you can do. And um, I feel like I've been a great point of contact for my pilots. Uh, my phone is always on. Most of them have my number. I've gotten calls at midnight from people on the East Coast or the West Coast trying to commute and trying to get home. Like, hey, it's not working. It's saying, did I? What can I do? And I'm like, all right, here, let me go on my phone and I'll get it fixed for them. And they get on the flight. Or um, I'll have a pilot who's having who's having a grumpy gate agent and the gate agent's not listing them or saying they're not allowed to be listed. I'll, I'll instantly call the chief pilot Hey, I know you're at this base. Like, are you able to go walk up to the gate agents and have them get listed and then bam, fixed in five minutes? So it's it's a great feeling to know that like I'm not I'm not creating a whole lot of change at this second, but I'm also I'm I'm helping out our pilots get from get places that they need to go and help them be with their families. Yeah, it's awesome. That's that's definitely something that's needed. And uh, what you said, you might not be thinking you're doing too much change, but you're building kind of your resume to, to help invoke change later in the future. Yes. Yeah. What is, um, it sounds like you really like where you are. Uh, would there be any kind of future where you just love this company so much, you can see yourself making such a change that you'd be willing to stay there for the rest of your life? Or do you want to eventually, you know, uh, there's no, no one's going to beat around the bush, but you can make way more money flying for a major one day if they ever hire again. We will have to say that, but I mean, they will, but um, would you ever leave? Would you want to leave or do you want to stay or is change the most important thing that you want to do for this company and uh, kind of mo- more meaningful for your career? It was actually funny. I was texting a friend the other day saying like, I'm going to be a lifer at Horizon at this rate, <laughs> but um, just because I'm, I'm running for a board member spot in our union. And so then I can actually be like a union board member and actually be the change that I want to see within the company. Um, but I mean, if I got, I don't want to say stuck, but if I got, if no one else, 
if we don't start hiring and no one looks at my resume, I would not be mad at staying at Horizon for the rest of my career. Um, you can easily, you won't make as much as, as say Southwest or Alaska, American or Delta, but you can make a decent living at Horizon being a check airman and go doing a little bit more extra stuff. And I've applied to be a check airman. Like I said, I wanted to be in the training department. I mean, I would love to move on to Alaska and, be, be the change I see from the wholly owned to the main line. Um, that would be, that is one of my main goals. I would love to do that. Um, but I mean, if Southwest called me, I don't think I'd tell them no. You'd feel the love real quick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if any, any recruiters are listening now, um, yeah, I would, I would love to take, take my personality and move it up to mainline and, and be the voice for, for them at mainline. Um, they usually have the same values as we do over at horizon and they do a little bit longer flying than we do. And it's so, and most of the people who go from horizon go over to Alaska too. So it's, it's all within the same family and I would not be upset if, if I stayed at horizon and also wouldn't be upset if I went to Alaska too, I would do the same thing at, Horizon and then at, uh, up at Alaska too. What is the most important thing you're looking for when choosing that job? Is it the same thing that when you chose Horizon, it's just fit? Uh, say that you applied all of them, they all interview you and you find out you get a Delta interview and you just feel like that fit is perfect, which I don't know if it would be or not, but if you just absolutely love it and, and maybe it wasn't your top choice, would you take it because you just felt like the fit was there or would you choose less money for the better? Obviously, you've already done that with Horizon, like you said, but so... Fit and community is probably the most important and the biggest driver in you choosing a job. Yeah, I think uh, the the fit and like the 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 vibe of the pilots, like do, if like working at a mainline, you're you're going to be in that airplane a lot longer with somebody else sitting next to you. Like, can am I going to be able to get along with everybody that's at that airline? I feel like at Southwest or Alaska, like everyone there is has great personalities. Everyone there is a lot of fun to work with and. I don't know if I would get that vibe at any other, at other airlines. And that that's one of my main goals. Like I want to be able to go to work and have fun. I don't want to go to work and just make it work. If that makes sense. No, it does. Sometimes it's harder said than done. Cause some days do suck. <laughs> As yeah. Big, you know? Yeah. I just don't want to wake up and the next morning. I'm like, Oh, I have to go to work. Like I want to wake up and be like, okay, I got to go to work today. But then like your four day trip ends up being like the best trip ever. So because of the people you're surrounded with, uh, the people at horizon are honestly amazing. We have so much fun. Um, and I mean, some days do suck when you're de-icing every day, you have maintenance, you have maintenance write-ups after maintenance write-ups. But I mean, sometimes maintenance write-ups can be fun. Like you can get stuck somewhere fun or you can sit there and play Nintendo switch on the airplane until maintenance comes and fix it. Like it's just all about your mentality. And when I'm choosing a place that I want to go work at, um, that's, that's the mentality I'm looking for is someone is a person. These people are going to be extremely negative. Every time I go fly, are they going to look at the positives in life? And you already mentioned that if you were, for some reason, say the airlines don't really bounce back to where they were and you were to be, I mean, stuck isn't the right word because you're very fortunate to be where you are right now. Yeah. Um, if that was willing to happen, you said that you would be okay with that. Is that your mentality? Like say in, in 50 years, you look back and you see that you were, you happen to still be at Horizon, you're retiring at Horizon or past Horizon. I don't know how old you are, but um, 
would you be happy if your career did that? Or would you have wished young Emily would do a different career? Would you have like rather have gone back and chosen something else knowing that uh, the airline industry is just so volatile and so crazy. Uh, but if you never got to that top goal, if you never got to make the change at Alaska or Southwest or uh, just kind of live that dream, would you still be happy? Um, I think my ultimate goal for my ultimate aviation goal is to fly for Cal fire, to be completely honest with you. Um, which is absolutely nothing to do with airline flying. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's awesome. And um, I have applied every year since, uh, I think, 2016. And that is my ultimate goal. So if I get stuck at Horizon and someday Cal Fire calls me, I'll be like, yep, going to Cal Fire. Um, it would be like, I've, I've always said that if I could work at Horizon and Cal Fire both at the same time, like uh, like Horizon in the winter and Cal Fire during the summer, like I, I would be fine with my life. I would sit there and I wouldn't try and go anywhere else. I would just stay like that. Um, so it, it, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I'll be happy in fifty years from now if I stayed at Horizon, just because I didn't know I was going to be at Horizon three years ago. So yeah, you never know what the future is going to hold. <laughs> yeah. Um, for all I know, Horizon might be here. Horizon might be merged with, I don't know, JetBlue. Who knows? It, it, you never know what's going to happen. And I just kind of roll with the punches. But the ultimate goal is is Cal Fire one of these days. So Southwest or Alaska comes in. They offer you a class date. You're getting ready to start. You're in class. And then Cal Fire calls you. You leave class immediately to go join mm. Cal Fire. No questions asked. Oh, that would be tough. But I think I would because Cal Fire, doing aerial firefighting, growing up and watching them, save our houses in in the midst of all the fires in Southern California. I think that that's what I want to do because ultimately you're still making a change. You're helping save lives. And I mean, Southwest, yeah, you're, uh, you're flying people around and taking people to their families. But I think the, the greater pleasure would come out of knowing that you're saving people's homes and animals and the wildlife out there in Southern California. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, it's, it's something that you can't really get anywhere else. I mean, other than maybe yeah. the military, but Cal Fire yeah. definitely and, and any other kind of fire. I interviewed one pilot who flies, I think it's air tractors. He flies air tractors for, and helps with helping fire or put out oh, fires. Yeah. So that's a, he was at my flight school when I was in Charlotte, when I was training and we connected. We actually did the ATP CTP course together and oh, we've nice. been at the same airport once or twice, I think since then. So it was pretty cool, but he, he loves his job. Absolutely loves his job. Would never do anything else. Yeah, and that's what I've heard from a lot of, um, I've done a lot of research into the aerial firefighting industry, and a lot of people I've talked to, it's it's a lot of grueling work, and they say it's 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 tough, but they, they love it. And so um, one of the girls I've talked to, Mary, she's she's done it for years and years and years, and she just retired, and now she's flying seven, six cargoes all over the place, and she's still out there living the dream, and she, she's like, uh, she's basically career goals is what I, is what I call her. So, well, if you know anyone that needs to come on the podcast, I've been trying to get any Cal fire people or anyone in general this whole year to come on. I've had no luck. So if you never know anyone, uh, in the interview, be like, Hey, if you hire me, you got to go on the podcast too. <laughs> yes. Deal. All right, cool. <laughs> All right. Well, those are most of the questions I have to ask. I do have a section called the rapid fire section, which is just me asking you some aviation questions and you say the first word that comes to your mind. Oh, goodness. All right. All right. Well, first, I'll say that this section is sponsored, thankfully, by the Patreon community. So if anyone wants to become a Patreon member, come up with a question, head to patreon.com slash pilot the pilot. But now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and get started. All right. <laughs> so the first question, they're easy. So no, nothing. Or maybe they're easy. I don't know. It could have made some mean ones. My goal is to make people cry at the end of this episode. 
<laughs> All right, I'll add you to I'll add you to my make me cry list here. Sweet. That's exactly what I want to be known for. <laughs> All right, let's uh let's pull this up. All right, first question I have for you is what is your favorite airplane? And this is just overall airplane. Uh what would be your number one airplane that you'd love? Oh, it would be a disgrace if I didn't say the mighty Q four hundred. Awesome. You might be in rare company with that one, but I'm guessing so. <laughs> anything, anything with the turbo prop I love. Yeah, that's funny. All right. What about a small GA plane? What would be your favorite? Um, I'm going to have to go with like a beach musketeer or a, or a Baron. What about a corporate jet? Ooh, go with the Gulf Stream. Okay. What is, everyone knows my answer, so I'm not going to say it. What is the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? <gasps> oh, I'm gonna have to go with the Piaggio. Yes, I need some like music, like ding, 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 ding. Like you won. <laughs> Send people stickers if they uh, say the Piaggio. <laughs> yes, I'm expecting some stickers now. That's hilarious. All right, here's one. What is something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Ooh, I wish that I knew there was more to aviation than just being an airline pilot. I wish that I would have been known like. Hey, you can go corporate, you can go 91, you can do aerial firefighting, you can do medevac, you can do like, there's so many things out there and not just being a 121 captain. Absolutely. And that was one of my goals was starting the podcast and even Instagram is just to show that just because you're not an airline or you can have a successful career in this industry if you choose not to be an airline pilot. There's always this old adage that, you know, you kind of need to be an airline pilot to be a, a real pilot, but that's not necessarily the case. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's just the one thing that I wish I would have known, but I know now, and like I said, I'm still trying to get into, into Cal fire. And that's one reason why we uh, started lady aviators too, to show that there's so many things that you can do in this industry and not, not even just be a pilot. You can do whatever you want. There's a lot of things. So. Uh, here's one. Uh, I'm going to ask this a little differently than I normally ask it, but if there was a Mount Rushmore of aviation, who would you want to see on it? It could be anyone you want. It could be four of your best friends. It could be uh, it could be people that have been very influential in your life. It could be someone in history, or it could be just a new IG friend that you have. Uh, who would be your kind of top four? You don't have to do four. You can just do a couple, but who would be your Mount Rushmore of aviation? Oh, man, that would be, that's tough. I guess I'm going to choose all of us founders from Lady Aviators because I feel like we're trying our hardest to to make a difference with females in aviation. So myself, Morgan, Kylie, Jessica, and uh, um, and Jordan. Sweet. I like it. <laughs> um, who is, uh, I guess you can choose one person from Instagram, uh, someone you look up to, or I guess it could be the same thing. Uh, who's, who's one person in the industry that you would like to meet most? Like I said, could be similar. Um, someone dead, alive, or very influential in your career that you necessarily hasn't you haven't met or know too well. Ooh, that's a tough one. I follow a lot of military accounts on on Instagram, um, because I feel like a lot of the military pilots are. I look up to them because I almost wish I would have gone that route. Um, Never too late, you know. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> uh, I I wish I just I don't I haven't finished my degree yet, but um. Uh, Michelle, she's a Mace T-Bird 5 on Instagram. She's she's a lot of fun to follow and she's very inspirational. And um, I she followed me back on Instagram and I fangirled so hard and I was like, That's oh awesome. my God. <laughs> don't mess this uh, up. Don't mess this up. We're almost best friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but yeah, like a lot of like the tanker pilots, um, like any anybody like any like the C seventeen pilots, like anyone who flies in the Air Force just has just has like this place in my heart because that's where my mom and dad were. So, um, I just love hearing their story and how they got into it because because I still think it's very rare to see females flying airplanes, let alone uh, fighters in the in right. the Air Force. Yeah, so, you're not wrong. Uh, she's one of the ones I hope to meet one day if I go to a uh, go to a um, an air show where they're back and loud. Uh, <laughs> it would be great to meet her at a March Air Force Base air show one day because yeah, I cool. used to go to that one every every time they have it. That's awesome. I hope it happens. <laughs> if you could change one thing about aviation, what would it be? I'm not quite sure. I think I'd change like all the discrimination that goes on and just choose pilots and be a pilot for how good you are. Like just, just be um, trying to think of the right words here. Uh, Like I I don't want to be looked at as a female pilot. I just want to be looked at as a pilot and like, choose me because I'm a, I'm the best person for the job, not because of, of my gender. And um, it would be nice if it was slightly cheaper to get into this industry, but you know, (laughs) I will, I'll choose the discrimination one over, over the, um, the cheaper I, one. I like it. I agree. Uh, what's your favorite thing about aviation overall? Uh, honestly, the friends and people that I meet. Um, Instagram has really uh, brought in my eyes to how many people are in aviation. And I love meeting my internet friends. I love when people text me like, hey, I'm out this overnight. Is this you? Or people send me a picture of a Q400 and E175. Is that you, Emily? I'm like, no, but let's go hang out. Like, like I'm, I'm so down to meet up or someone's like, Hey, I'm in Denver. I'll take them down to flight co and go hang out with the flight co peeps. Like it's, it's great. Um, I love being able to make all these friends around the world and being able to go fly and see them whenever I want and sharing stories and sharing the passion. What's your favorite airport you've ever landed at? Ooh, favorite airport I've ever landed at. Um, so I would have to say it'd either be Santa Paula or I believe it's the sister airport of Santa Paula. It'd be like L70 out in California. They're both right up against mountains and they're a lot of fun to fly into. And they're just like these small little dinky airports, non-towered and the airplanes and everything that you see there is really pretty. What about your least favorite airport? Um, that's going to be Mammoth <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, I understand that one. Would you rather fly IFR or VFR? Can I do VFR under RFR flight rules? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You beat the game. You beat the system. Congratulations. <laughs> That's it. No more questions. Yeah. I like not that. quite sure if I remember all the VFR rules. Yeah. <laughs> flying IFR so much. I know, right? Uh, here's one. What is, you have 30 minutes at an airport. You are changing gates, changing planes, or you just want to get some food. What's your go-to airport food? My go-to airport food? Um, probably a hundred percent like mod pizza in Portland. Right. I like it. I've never had mod pizza before, but I've heard. It's basically just one of those, uh, those little chains where you can make any, you can put any toppings you want on your oh, pizza. Nice. Or if you're feeling healthy, you can get a salad with any toppings you want to. So no one's feeling healthy. People don't go to pizza places for salads. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, would you rather fly over mountains, beaches or the city? Ooh, that's a tough one. I like all three. California has all three. There you go. You win again. (laughs) Um, Airbus or Boeing? Airbus. Favorite airline livery? 
the honoring those who served from Alaska and Horizon. Very fitting that it's Veterans Day right now. So it very is very fitting. <laughs> so thank you for everyone's service. We appreciate you. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, would you rather fly one very long trip? Like you're on a, a G700, a brand new Gulfstream G700, and you have to fly from here and fly nonstop for 18 hours. Would you rather do that? Or would you rather be in your beloved uh, Q400 and flying six stops a day? Honestly, the six stops a day in the Q400. <laughs> um, I feel like I get very bored very easily. And if you're doing six stops a day and there's short hops, like you're you're constantly doing something. Like if you're not doing something, then you're probably behind the aircraft. And I think that's what's most fun. Yeah. What's the biggest regret in your career so far? Ooh, biggest regret. Um, I honestly don't think I have very many. Um, maybe some of the things I've said, <laughs> like maybe not being as outspoken, uh, maybe holding back and not going full swing at, at an issue that I thought was an issue. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of people could fall into that. Like, dang, I really should not have said that. But, you know, you learn from your mistakes. It's like you said, you learn from your mistakes. You make the best out of every situation. So they they turn you into who you are today. Exactly. Like, is that that the hill I really want to die on? Well, it was that that day. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It was that day. Is it now? Nope. You either love me or hate me for who I am, whatever. (laughs) Uh, I think you're, I know you're going to say this. So I'll ask it two different ways. But CRJ, CRJ or ERJ as a passenger in the back, what would you rather fly on? Ooh, that's that's easy. ERJ. What would you rather fly, the ERJ or the CRJ? Um, I would actually go for the CRJ. I hear that's kind of like CRJ is comparable to the Q when it comes to flying skills. It doesn't have as much uh, technology as the ERJ. So, CRJ pilots probably are more piloty than ERJ pilots. Piper or Cessna? Cessna. One forty-one training or sixty-one? If you go back and do it again, we kind of already have your answer. But what would you choose? I think I'd go 61. I don't like, I like the structure of 141, but I like the freedom of 161, if that makes sense. Yeah. All right. You have a ticket, a first class ticket you can use on any airline in the world. You're going on a very long flight. You get first class, business class, whatever is the best, most popular. What airline are you choosing? Which one would you rather go on? Ooh, um, anyone that still flies a 747. (laughs) (laughs) So, Coletta? (laughs) Yeah. um, Maybe. (laughs) <laughs> hey atlas y'all taking passengers I know, right? yeah because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i think all of them have t- taken i think even british and all of them have taken the yeah. service i think it's done sad day <laughs> so sad yeah. sorry atlas will be there for you <laughs> you can jump seat on atlas right i think so yeah just as luxurious <laughs> yes all right emily those are all the rapid fire questions i have for you i'm just going to leave you with one more question uh, there is someone that's listening to this. They want to DM you. They want to get in touch with you. They really like what you have to say. They're going to ask you for your three tips to become a pilot, three tips to have a successful career in aviation. Uh, what are some tips you'd give them? One, stay as positive as possible. Uh, you're, you're going to see a lot of downs in this industry and we're currently in one. So stay as positive as you can. Not everything is going to suck for forever. Um, and don't rush. Enjoy the enjoy your time in training. Enjoy your time at a 135 or at a time builder as a CFI. Um, I'd say don't rush, but then seniority is everything sometimes if it, if airlines are, are where you want to go. But enjoy your time. Have fun. Like don't don't take everything so seriously. And 
do a lot of research. I actually dabble in a little bit of everything. I mean, I dabbled as a CFI, I dabbled in 135 and 121. So kind of kind of search around and explore and do whatever you think makes you the most happy. Yeah, I love that you said to, to dabble and kind of explore and figure out what you like most. Don't just let people tell you you need to be an airline pilot. I wanted to be an airline pilot when I started my training and I started experiencing more of the 91, the 91K135 life. And I really just learned to love it. I learned to love the FBOs and just the whole lifestyle. Uh, so you don't know until you try it. So uh, yeah, it's exactly. definitely worth and, trying. And 121 isn't for everybody. You know, say you get to an airline at 121 and you don't like it. Don't feel ashamed that you don't like it. It's every, every section of aviation has a lifestyle and it's not for, and every section is not for everybody. So don't feel ashamed if you don't like a certain thing. Don't feel ashamed if you don't like helicopters. Don't feel ashamed if you don't like this fixed wing and you want to go to helicopters. I mean, it's, it's whatever makes you happy. It's your career, not anybody else's. Absolutely. Gonna set it better myself. Emily, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm glad we finally, what is it, a year later now? We got, we got I know, it done. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was actually probably a year. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is a year, but uh, here we are. We stayed persistent. We got it done. Um, I'm very thankful to have you on and you to share your story. I wish you nothing but the best. And I hope that you are able to invoke the change that you want to, to, to invoke, whether that's in the community with Lady Aviators, whether that's with Horizon, whether it's with your future airline or Cal Fire, whatever it may be. I wish you the best in everything. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm, it's a pleasure being here with you. And thank you for having me. Yeah, anytime. Thanks so much. Thank you. AV Nation, that is a wrap of episode 145 of the Pilot the Pilot Podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Like I said earlier, please leave us a review on iTunes, check us out on Patreon, and check out our shop, shoppilotthepilot.com. Hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I hope you enjoy next week's as well. As always, happy flying.